0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store.
2: Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Carlin Kirknell. Here today with Paul Wagtowitz and no effects, the men behind The Way We Ate. The Way We Ate.net. It's not often you see .nets. Someone else already took the dot .com.
3: The dot .com was taken. Sons of
2: bitches. <laughs> but what's amazing is you two have every issue of Gourmet Magazine. That's true. And you've taken it upon yourselves to revive that, to bring it back to life, archive, from 1941 until, when did it close? In 2010?
3: Uh, The last issue, I'm pretty sure, is November 2009. 2009. Yeah, yeah. And that's about 815 issues, if my math is right.
2: (laughs) I think you've thrown those numbers around a couple times before. Yeah. (laughs) So, 70 years worth of recipes. Um, How many recipes are
3: actually in all those issues?
4: Uh, that would be a great thing to figure out.
3: <laughs> it varies. The ones in the 40s are, are so much more conversational, and there's maybe four or five recipes in an issue, and it's it's a direct you know uh, curve as you go as time goes on, it, it increases, and when you get to the end, there's considerably more than in the beginning. Literally, you'll have issues with five recipes, yeah, and those will be for squirrel.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I thought it was fascinating. Uh, there was a wonderful. Tumblr uh, video done about your project, um, and in that explaining, you know, the actual temperament of why the magazine started. It was 1941. It was World War II. Um, food was rationed. Food was a novelty, uh, and these were collectibles. I mean, um, what did you? <laughs> because it didn't exist anymore. Did you start this project in that same way? Um, It's kind of the reciprocal nature right now where food is such an uber novelty that you wanted to get back to a time when it wasn't.
4: It was definitely a reaction to the way people are eating now and the way the American diet is going. We wanted to dial it back and show that there are traditions and another way to go about eating on a daily basis without, you know, microwave meals and... (laughs)
2: Even though I'm assuming there were a couple of microwave recipes in Gourmet.
3: Gosh, we haven't hit one yet. No, no, no
4: not there yet. There is a special icon denoting microwave meals oh. in some of the later issues. Yeah, that, we haven't come across it. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean,
2: Gourmet uh, was such an Epicurean magazine, uh, almost towards the hedonistic. Um, but it must be pleasurable for you two to sit there and flip through. How many issues? 815 yeah. issues. And see how people lived life. Because it wasn't just for your everyday Midwest housewife. I mean, it was for people that were looking to have a good time with food and entertaining.
3: I think one of our favorite things in the in every issue really from start to finish is there's a section called Let's Eat Out which is uh, in the back pages. And it's really, you know, direct advertising from restaurants themselves. So they're tiny little black and white ads and it's something that exists from the beginning to the end and it's you know, there's Danny's hideaway and, and all these uh the silent woman, you know, ridiculous restaurants and fun restaurants and classic restaurants Nirvana. Yeah. Some it's that's kind of more of a true read than advertising because advertising is so aspirational and lofty and you know, there's still ads, but they're they're for restaurants. And yeah. they were you know they're not very lofty. They're very direct, and they're very quick read. So for us, I think that's the most telling of any era what was really popular yeah. versus so, what was aspirational.
2: <laughs> so when you started this and when did you actually start this blog? Recently, last year? Uh, the first post was January 1st, 2011. And it's going to take you what? 15 20 years? 15 and a half. Years, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 15.
3: 6 yeah. 15.6 if we don't take any breaks, but we yeah. take breaks yeah. because we we work. Yeah. So we have to, you know, leave town once in a while. Yeah.
4: So
2: you started this in 2011.
4: Yeah, well we had been testing it for a year prior. Uh, on Flickr and you know the form feeling our way into the format and
3: yeah I guess your your death bell is October two thousand and nine by January two thousand and ten we started testing, shooting, cooking, we spent a full year testing, cooking, shooting, yeah, and then we debuted on january twenty eleven so we've been our ball's been rolling, <laughs>
2: yeah yeah, I mean, so one, you plan out all your meals for the week, how many recipes do you actually cook?
3: Uh, we do about three because we kind of felt like uh, three was a good number for really any, any anyone in America. We kind of thought three nights a week, you should be able to go home and make dinner. Yeah. And even if you can, it's a good goal yeah. to say three <laughs> nights a week, the normal average American human being should make dinner for their family or friends or whoever it is, three nights a week. Do you remember that first recipe? Oh, sh- uh, <laughs> the first recipe. we, we... I,
2: I see who the brain trust oh, yes! is here. <laughs>
4: In the test phase, the first recipe was a strawberry shrub. Yeah. Uh, I believe from the 40s. Uh, 70s. 70s. Yeah. Uh, shrub was a new term to us. Uh, you can find it in a lot of bars now.
2: Yeah, it's a vinegar-based cocktail. Bingo. Yeah.
3: And this was a recipe to make the syrup, but you had to let strawberries macerate with white wine vinegar for three days, which I think we flubbed and did regular vinegar. <laughs> it was a strong drink yeah we were committed to drinking
4: it all summer though it was yeah delicious yeah. anyway it worked
2: out well sustainable food photography i practice that <laughs> so you started with the strawberry shrub and but how did you go about these 70
4: years picking which recipes which issues well it's not a race against the clock we just figured you know we can do this many a week and there are this many issues uh we want to enjoy ourselves
3: uh. That's a, you know We do it on, uh, it's really Sundays. Sundays is the time that, you know, if it's May, we'll pull out a May. If it's December, we'll pull out several Decembers. Or, you know, we'll try to really keep it interesting. You know, we don't want to do a bunch of 40s in a row. And we'll try to jump around. But if it's, you know, like I said, if it's May, we'll stick to a May issue. And right now it's June. So on Sunday, we'll pull out June 43, June 75, June 99, and see just what looks interesting to us today. Yeah.
2: It must be fascinating though with uh, you know cuisine or you know New York being so hyper farm to table and seasonal um, to see whether or not things were seasonal. I mean are there farmer market ingredients in you know the 40s, 50s, 60s or is it all year round kind of produce from supermarkets?
4: It definitely made me more aware of what's
3: uh, current and fresh in the season Um well, so. it, is, it is a monthly, too. So, really, it's kind of directing its reader to what to do now. Yeah. Or what to do in the coming month or the month ahead. Yeah. I mean, it's
2: funny also to see trends. And obviously, through 70 years, there are things that have made it or dissipated. Um, what do you see that comes up most often as an ingredient or as an influence? I
3: think we each have an answer for this. <laughs> for me, aspic. Aspic proliferates, it goes from start to finish Aspic, aspect. you know, it's it, I feel like the editors, I feel like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't ever popular <laughs> but it, the, the editors are kind of forcing a comeback on that perennially it just keeps coming up over and over and over again, for me I feel like Aspic might be the single dish that appears from start to finish. Yeah,
2: And can you explain what aspic is?
3: Aspic, well, you know, uh, traditionally you're uh, gelatinizing, what's the word for it? You're reducing bones to let them give up their gelatin, their natural, uh, you know, occurring gelatin, and it makes a Beefy, meaty kind of Jello mold. Yeah, uh, delicious sounding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a freestanding chilled mold. Uh, slices of tongue, fruit. You know, you name it. It's it's all across the board. But I can tell you, top secret. We're working on a tomato aspect right now, which seems to be at a every aspect that ever lived. That's the one that today still kind of yeah. lasts and people like
2: well i mean is it a preservation method or is it just something to put on the table and let wobble and let people spectacle it's about? probably
3: a way to use the bones yeah it i mean that was something you, you hit the nail on the head i think for us it was we thought it was more like a gag and a presentation thing but i it seemed to us historically it was a way to use every part of the animal yeah which how cool and how current
2: yeah yeah well i mean also, currently, the two of you are fantastic photographers, whining and dining yourselves uh, around New York and you know the greater nation, even worldwide. Um, you do a lot of food, you do a lot of travel, Paul. You do you know live concert. Why do you want to focus on this project so much?
4: Everybody has to eat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> One of the most wonderfully concise and to the point answers we've had on the food scene yet. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, but why gourmet? What, were they recipes that resonated of your youth? You're from... Uh, Baltimore. Baltimore.
3: And New York, Queens.
2: Yeah, I mean, did your parents cook gourmet growing up? Did you care about the magazine?
3: I was, I mean, my maybe in the 90s I was aware of it, but, you know, my mom was a real home cook. You know, screw three nights a week. We're talking six nights a week, yeah. seven, you know. I, she really took Sundays off. Sundays was like, screw you kids, I'm doing my own thing, but... <laughs> God, uh, you know, two meals a day, at least five to six days a week with my mom. And she she had a talent that she could make everything hot and ready at the same time. A talent I still she could have, you know, five, six, seven things. Oh, you
2: don't even see that in restaurants these days. I don't Some know how Michelin she did it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I don't know how she did it. Yeah. And that was something I really looked up to and you know, just, I think the happiness that everyone has with something that you make at home, something that you make yourself. But I do know something we found along the way was there was things that we made ourselves that we discovered kind of beat the pants off anything we could buy.
2: Yeah. Barbecue sauce.
3: Barbecue sauce is one of them.
2: let le- Paul, tell me about this barbecue sauce. You were so wonderful to don this jar, which will not last uh, past this weekend because I already have in my head an idea for it. (laughs) But it's a five-ingredient barbecue sauce, and what makes it so wonderful?
4: Uh, Well, we just had our friend Jenny Miller over for dinner, and her birth year was 81. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) So uh, we chose... We try to do that. Yeah. If you're coming over for dinner, we try to make it from your birth year. Oh, that's
2: ingenious. Yeah. Yeah.
4: We chose a menu called the bachelor party, which was very (laughs) protein-heavy. (laughs) <laughs> Very. Figure it would please a couple, you know, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we made the most amazing spare ribs we've ever had. And the sauce is Chinese style.
3: That's what it's called. Chinese style spare, uh, Chinese style barbecue sauce.
4: Yeah. And what
2: are
3: the five ingredients? Soy sauce.
4: Uh,
3: chili, chili garlic paste. paste. Yeah. Uh, chili, garlic paste, soy sauce, rice vinegar, brown sugar, uh, uh, Tomato puree. That's it. Yeah. Five oh, ingredients. Yeah. I had to think about that for yeah. a second. <laughs> yeah, five ingredients. But, you know, combined, slow-cooked, um, all stovetop, all oven-based. Uh, rarely do they really get out of the kitchen. It's There's very few, you know, through the entire history that we've found, rarely does the magazine direct you to cook outdoors. Oh, really? Yeah.
2: So it's all about the hearth being the home. It works. Yeah. It's funny because, you know... As you guys are on the road and photographing stories, it feels like the majority is to go to this place or, you know, entertain outdoors, like grilling, but destination. Um, Gourmet for so long was the destination is the home, you know, is where, you know, the family is. And I don't know, towards its later years, uh, it kind of got eccentric. and
3: And, you know, and I think the people that we've met from Gourmet have no shame about saying it's a travel magazine. Yeah, you know, and that it's that's such a big part of its identity for so long. But uh, you know, when it comes to home, Paul, I, you'll know this. We always kind of say to each other that there's five things that we never buy anymore, that we always make at home. You know, yeah, uh, pasta. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. We never buy pasta ever. <laughs> ice cream, tortillas. Uh, ooh, bread. God, we never buy bread. We only make it. Yeah, bread, and- ice cream,
2: tortilla, pasta. There's one more. It's always get hung up on the fifth ingredient. Is it tomato puree again? It's not.
3: (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's iced tea. (laughs) We do say frequently that there's five things that we never buy anymore, but I'm having trouble on the fifth. We'll we'll
2: come back to that one. But (laughs) pasta, ice cream, tortilla, bread. Are these things that you guys used to cook prior to diving into this project?
3: No, never. Never. (laughs) Not once, ever. I mean... Pasta is plentiful. You can buy it anywhere, you yeah. know, and it's great. But, you know, once you make it at home and you have your own, it's considerably better. Yeah. You know, uh, I think ice cream and bread, it's really about avoiding stabilizers. And, the, you know, th- those are things that we don't want to eat. So that's kind of a big reason why we make it. Um, tortillas, we kind of have a whole story about. Tortillas are... We've kind of noticed from the beginning to the end, there's always these taco recipes, And what you find out is, you know, I mean, in 1950s, it's introducing tacos, this dish you've never (laughs) heard of, you know. Step one, get some lard and make some tortillas, flour tortillas. As you get to the 60s, it's, you know, uh, something in there is canned. By the time you get to the 80s, it's step one, buy tortillas. And by the time you get to the end, like 2009, it's how to make tacos in five minutes. Yeah. And every ingredient is prepackaged. Wow. So for us, that was something that we talk about dialing it back. That was something we wanted to really the m- the more the ingredients were from scratch, far from making cheese yourself. Yeah, <laughs> they were it was incredible. You know, it was like, I can't believe this is a taco because it's amazing.
2: Right? Yeah. And you realize how cyclical everything
3: is, you know, it, it, that there's dishes that appear again and again. But the trend is, you know, sometimes that's a political reason get out of the kitchen and enjoy your life a little bit more that's a valid reason yeah but you know we kind of want to get in the kitchen and enjoy our life a little more
2: excellent well we're going to take a quick break come back and talk about your east village kitchen which <laughs> the magic happens you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org we'll be right back <laughs>
0: White Oak Pastures is a 146 year old multi generational family farm that works in cooperation with nature to produce artisan beef that is safe healthy, nutritious, and good to eat. Without fail, we ensure that our production practices are economically practical, ecologically sustainable, and that the animals are always humanely treated. We never falter in our determination to conduct our business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com.
2: Welcome back to The Food Scene on Heritage for Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael harlan Turkal, here with Paul Bragtiewicz. Nice. I like the breakdown of your Twitter handle. makes that much easier <laughs> and no effects. Hello. Um, I actually want to touch on the idea of like a free education. Yeah. Um, how cool is it that you get to cook through these things? And you were saying it's like a culinary degree, like going to school. Um, but it's also in all the socio, all the political stuff. I mean, you're, you're cooking through real history here.
3: We feel that way a lot. I mean, we feel that, you know, we're kind of getting a free education in culinary, start to finish, beginning to end, all the techniques and all the tools. Our, our kitchen drawer is definitely overflowing, <laughs> but, you know, so are our brains in the sense that I mean, we really, I I, I I guess we'll never really meet anyone else who will have done what we've done, other than maybe uh, our friend Gales Wiegenthal. She yeah. was. Uh, we recently met her. She was at the magazine for
4: thirty-eight years, more than thirty years, and a decade or more as editor in chief.
2: Yeah,
3: as to yeah. Hear, to hear her speak is incredible.
2: Everyone knows Ruth Rachel, but yeah. this woman, I mean, Ruth Rachel came in, I think ninety-nine or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. And then,
3: yeah. Before her, there was a woman named Gail Zwiegenthal, and before that, there was a woman named Jane Montant. Yeah. Before that, was uh, Earl McCausland, the founder. And after his death, uh, his wife was editor in chief for like three issues. Yeah. But uh, it was really, you know, you had the original founder of the magazine there from like 41 to 81, died on the job, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but then uh, Gail was somebody, Gail Zwickenthal was someone who was there i guess you know right out of college right out of, you know that was her first job and she had been at the magazine for 38 years so yeah. to talk to her and to hear what she had to say and you know we would mention recipes from the 60s and she remembered them she knew exactly <laughs> what we were talking about it kind of blew our mind yeah. Did you know? she
4: tell you what to cook and what not to cook she made many good recommendations yeah, yeah. such as uh, a tomato, tomato tart that she makes <laughs> since the date of publication yeah that she had iPhone pictures
3: of, we were z- very oh, awesome. impressed, yeah. super impressed. Do
2: you know what issue that was in? Uh, she told us she was going
3: to send it to us. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll talk on email.
2: Yeah, I was wondering whether or not you guys had that rain man like uh, recollection for issues yet, like uh, and test each other. You know, nineteen seventy three, page thirty eight. It's like, oh, that's a Ryan ad. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's not a recipe. <laughs> I-, I think Paul can tell you that's definitely me. Yeah, I can. You know, I can conjure. I've shockingly been able, if someone can tell me like uh, a month and a year, I can visualize what's on the cover. That's awesome. That's a good start. Yeah.
2: So, so let's talk about this kitchen overflowing. Um, it's not a big kitchen. You live in the East Village. Um, how have you transformed this from both a kitchen sense and a photo studio sense to be able to you know, work through the way we ate?
4: Uh, well, it's kind of a standard, small as can be, East Village kitchen. The range is the smallest version manufactured.
2: (laughs) You have to get one of those mini sheet trays to actually fit in?
4: Uh, You know, if you put it long ways (laughs) and kind of lean on the door, it fits. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the way the apartment's designed, it's more like a room that you pass through. I don't think they intended a lot of people to really spend too much time there.
3: Yeah. But so, it's, it's a real kitchen. And, uh, you know, the, the apartment's small. We're talking Murphy bed. You know, it's classic. Really? You guys have a Murphy bed? Yeah. That's
2: awesome. I've always wanted a Murphy bed.
3: Name brand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's great. But, you know, uh, Paul found the apartment first and he looked at it and he was showing me kind of camera phone pictures of like three or four apartments. I said, that one, because it had a real kitchen. Yeah. It was like a separate room from everything else. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think when you have a really small place, the trick is get everything off the floor. So we have a lot of racks and hanging stuff. And, you know, we're definitely overflowing with props at this point.
2: Well, I mean, I saw quickly in that Tumblr video, too, that you have, you know, your pantry um, with all the mason jars. You had pots hanging overhead. Yeah. But, yeah, it looked like a very good um, HG network, uh, <laughs> you know, maximize your space kind of.
3: Paul says it's like being on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> why do you uh, Explain. Uh, you know, like a submarine,
4: everything's up the walls yeah <laughs> tall friends definitely bonk their heads
2: yeah so i mean you cook and then you style uh, because let's talk about these props i don't know how you procured such patterns and bowls that they look like they <laughs> are directly if not directly from the 40s 50s 60s um where do you in the sense forge for all that stuff
3: uh step one is my mom <laughs> evelyn <laughs> she's terrific and uh, uh would you say Evelyn's kind of like the the historian, like our silent historian? Yeah, we frequently bounce things off her before we go forward. My mom's born in 44, so she's not really good for the, the first end, but yeah, 50s to 2000s, I can ask her where she was, what was going on in the world, and she's got a great memory, and she's a good consultant about, you know, uh, this would be 60s, this would be 70s, things that I'm, you know, too young to even know yeah. about, but... She is also a yard sale queen. So she's been feeding us a little bit some knives, forks, spoons, things like that. She's just getting her engine... She's recently retired, so she's (laughs) getting her engines warmed up. So
2: are you trying to replicate the image exactly from the page, or is it just trying to kind of reference the the mood, reference the error?
3: We generally try to pick in recipes that are not photographed.
2: Oh. Uh,
4: And then we have a collection of fabrics
3: uh we just try to loosely reference the era yeah but i mean you know gourmet and its history had some of the finest photography you know you have ronnie jacks you have uh yannis all these wonderful wonder you know louis Le- louis limus all these great amazing prolific like food and lifestyle travel photographers we love them and we respect them and they're, they're just amazing contributors that's a big part of the reason why we don't want to try to tackle something that's already been photographed, but then it's, you know, we can do whatever we want. Yeah.
2: What is your lighting setup? I mean, is, is there a schematic for how you shoot each set?
3: Uh, You know, play the ball as it lies. You know I mean? If, if, however it looks like we don't really kind of set up the light until the dish is like pretty close and we have an idea, but
4: sometimes natural light will do if it's the right time of day. Sometimes we go to the roof.
3: Yeah, We're trying to get out of the house a little more, yeah, because I mean, that also happened with gourmet, yeah. So they're, they're Take inspiring the show us on the road. <laughs> but uh, no, we do a lot of strobe, we do a lot of uh, single light, double light, you know, whatever it requires. But I will say that to answer your question, there's no formula, yeah, you know, we're just it's really you know, like we know, once something's in front of you, you can really be inspired by it,
2: yeah. So, what have been the most inspirational dishes? I mean, there, there are so many really cool ones. I, I love the meringues, the you know all the Japanese references that are scattered throughout when it used to be called Oriental um, <laughs> Tostone, Swedish coffee ring. What have been some of your favorite to cook and to photograph?
3: I try to think of those things that we. Oh, the what about the pancakes? You could talk about that. Uh, the pancakes or the potato
4: cakes? Oh, oh you will ro- yeah. roasty.
3: You could start with yeah yeah.
4: Uh, I love latkes, like anything made from potatoes. Really reminds me of childhood and my grandma. So those are a lot of my
3: favorites. There's a we found this buttermilk pancake recipe that uh, you're meant to have. What a, year? What page? Uh, 1992 February, and I can tell you there's cupcakes on the cover. <laughs> I don't know what page. Yeah. It's in the back. <laughs> There's a, there was some kind of introducing a new section. It's 1992. And the editors are supposed to talk about their guilty pleasures. And I think, it, I think it's Gail Zwiegenthal's. I think it's the editor-in-chief of the time. And she talks about, she makes buttermilk pancakes, but covers them with caviar. And I wondered, well, would these be all right for breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> That's something we make a lot. It's like giant blinis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a big hit. Um, any uh, Ooh, fricassees. We make those a lot. Those come up a lot.
2: That's a, what is a fricassee? I mean, I hear it. I have an idea of what it is, but I'm not 100% sure.
3: You're taking a whole chicken. Yeah. It, what's funny, and uh, to talk to my mom, too, is we find that, like, you asked my mom about buying chicken parts pre-1970, and she's like, Pfft. <laughs> not possible, you know, like you bought the chicken and that was that. And you figured out what to do with it. You would never buy just a chicken breast. It was unheard of, but, uh, according to her, uh, oh, I lost it. What was it? Uh, Oh, the fricassee. Yeah. Sorry. Um, you're taking a whole bird, you're cutting it up and you're kind of cooking it in a way that you don't have to really pay attention to the light meat and the dark meat. It's a braise, you know, it's a uh, cocoa van, a very famous fricassee.
2: Oh, really? Indeed. Fascinating. Um, I hate to be blasphemous, but what have been such a, some of the worst meals ooh. that you guys have cooked?
3: It's cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> the cocktails are, are uh, they never seem to get it right, you know, in the whole history. The, the cocktails can be pretty awful. Do you remember, was it a Leapfrog cocktail? Oh, yeah. We poured that right out.
2: <laughs> what was in the Leapfrog cocktail?
3: It, that was the, the, ooh, apricot brandy, maybe? That was terrible. Yeah, I was, you know, I think it was. We were talking about it was a way to deal with substandard alcohol during the war during World War II. That was terrible. Um, a couple of souffles that are just like ooh, or that uh, the sangria.
4: How can sangria be bad? Ooh, it was uh, turned out to be probably our most popular post. We shot it on the roof. Uh, Pedro Leguero's sangria and uh it looked beautiful. I like the shot that we got out of it. Tasted so nasty. Cloying, <laughs>
3: you know, uh, this boo, sticky sweet booze bomb. Yeah. You know, one of those you really don't know if they tested it or not or well what you get a lot is there's reader write-ins which uh are you know can be terrific. The readers pre-internet kind of write into the magazine and beg and plead like you know you've got to find the Sweetbread recipe from the four seasons that my husband and I had last week it's yeah. incredible and you know that's something that's uh, bon appetit's kept that tradition alive and it's wonderful but try to imagine a world pre-internet like how the hell else are we supposed to get that you know so it's it's very interesting but you know some of those things boil back down to political you know it's Gourmet's able to get recipes from Cuba when, you know, pre, you know, we're talking in the 50s. How the hell else are we going to get a Cuban recipe in the 50s? The idea that they had that reach and that power is really impressive politically and historically.
2: Yeah. So your reach, your power, what do you want to do with this? I mean, you're going to spend the next, what, 14 years of your life. Indeed. What do you hope it does? Preservation, archiving?
3: You know, it's really for us. You know, it's it's for us and our friends and our fans and and for people, you know, it's first and foremost, it's for us to eat. (laughs) (laughs) It's for us to have and to cook and to make with, you know, each other and our friends and the people that are close to us. That's, but the reason why we photograph it, I guess, you know, I went to school for photography and, a big thing you would hear from the professors you have to really consider your audience because if you're not taking pictures for your audience what the hell are you doing it for and that's something we think about a lot that you know if you can't be there and eat it hopefully you can enjoy it so it's for our friends it's for our fans it's for us more than anything else it's it's hard to really think about that being historically on our shoulders in a way you
2: Well, I mean, you guys talk about fans and people that write in comment. And, Paul, you had mentioned a recipe that everybody asked for, uh, corn soup. Uh, Do you remember the name of the corn soup? It was chicken corn soup from 1948. Yeah. So, I mean, it's cool because now you guys are these uh, um, gatekeepers. Uh, You you are these people that, uh, you know, are projecting the past. And, um, I mean, talk about having a weight on your shoulder. Do you feel that? I mean, do you feel like you're preserving something for people and now you have more pressure because people are so into your project that it either ramps you up more to do more or it makes you realize uh, the size and weight of what you're doing?
4: Well, I think we chose Gourmet uh, a lot because of the you know, response, the public outcry when they closed. We weren't that long before that we started what we're doing. And in terms of longevity, like, that's the magazine that really has our entire history.
3: We never really... We could never appropriately estimate people's emotional response to Gourmet. It's so deep, and it's, you know, we constantly underestimate it. It's something... People's emotional response to that recipe which i think also ties into maybe that time or that year or their birth year like we spoke about but we constantly underestimate people's deep emotional connection to gourmet which is a big reason like i said why we started to do it but it's above and beyond what we could have anticipated
2: yeah and i'm sure your connection now with the project and with the food is that much deeper and that much more almost religious seeming
3: well we'll always have it you know i mean it's it's funny for us to look at our own archive of what we've shot and what we've ate and what we've made and and why and when and what was good and what we were doing at that time so in in a weird way it'll have like a double life for us yeah in the sense of i could look at a magazine from 96 and know what i was doing then but then i could look at our own photographs of something we shot from 96 in 2012 and how i feel about that
2: that's great that's like back to the future meets quantum leap meets (laughs) that show sliders which is a weird reference but i love that show it's complex fantastic thing you guys are doing eating the way we ate then now the way we ate dot net
3: retro modern (laughs) (laughs) or modern retro
2: paul no thank you so much i can't wait to see what crazy recipes you two are going to get into and thank you for the barbecue sauce uh do you guys have a recipe up on the site for that
3: Uh, No, that's uh, not presently available yet. Coming soon. Coming soon, hopefully. Keep
2: on tap. There's 14 more years to go. Indeed. (laughs) Thank you again. Thanks, Michael. Uh, You can listen to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network.